Well, Redeemer family, we are in 1 Corinthians 16, and there is no 1 Corinthians 17, so we are, made, we are almost done with the book. And um, this morning, I want to put the question before us, must the gospel make us generous? Must the gospel make us generous? And so um, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to read with me. I'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 11. Uh, next week, we'll be uh, in Alabama with our daughter on a college tour. And uh, once I get back, we'll finish the book up the following week. And so um, we'll finish up. Thank you all for being patient with me if, as we have worked through this entire letter together. This is God's word. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed all the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he or she may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, even though there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am, so that no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting this right here for such a time as this. Father, help us to be not only hearers, but doers of your word. Help us, Lord, to not only be hearers, but believers of your word. Father, I pray that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against you, that it might be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, directing us as we go about our lives. Forgive the sins of your servant and the sins of your people. Uh, blot them out because of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're in the last chapter of the book, and if you were with us uh, last, two weeks ago, Paul talks about uh, the resurrection from the dead. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about, the hope of the resurrection from the dead. And then he pivots, and he talks about how we spend these dead presidents, our money, right? So pay, notice the theme being raised from the dead, and on every dollar bill you have is a dead president. And Paul is actually saying, if you've been raised in Christ, how we handle our money is different. Now, I'm aware that when we talk about money that some of us get uncomfortable because you've been in religious settings where you've heard preachers preach, and the call for you is to respond by sowing seeds in their ministry to get a greater blessing, right? That's not what we're doing this morning. 
But the pendulum can easily swing to the other side, right, saints? That in response to the over-talking or the excessive talking about money, that we can go the other direction and we never talk about it. And we ignore things that Jesus says, like you can't love God and money. We ignore that you brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out of it. We ignore all of these commands in the Old Testament and during Jesus's earthly ministry and what the apostles continue to write about to the churches. And we do that to the detriment of the saints. And we forget that we're called to glorify God, not just with our bodies and our spiritual gifts, but also our money. And so that's what we're going to be wrestling with this morning is must the gospel make us radically generous? And the answer is yes. And that's what I want to show you this morning, regardless of your income level. Now, here's the first thing I want us to think about in this text is that we are all commanded to do the work of being radically generous. All right. So, so I'm going to tease out each aspect of that sentence because I think it, it is faithful to this text. We are all called to do the work of being radically generous. Now, it goes without saying that this is not a recommendation, that what Paul is commanding in this letter is an imperative. Now, think about the other imperatives that we've looked at in this letter. Stop sleeping with prostitutes. Command. Stop not practicing church discipline. Command. Stop suing one another command. Stop abusing the Lord's Supper, command. And you would not look at any of those commandments and say, those are suggestions. No, you will look at all of those other imperatives and say, if we don't obey that, we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people, and we don't display the glory of God. And so when you read the command at the end of the letter to be uh, radically generous, you have to read it that way, that it is coming with apostolic thrust, right? This is not a recommendation. It's a command from the Lord. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that this is a good work. In our circles, we always talk about that we are not saved by our works, but through God's grace and through faith. Now, Ephesians also says that the same people that God saves according to his grace through faith in his son, he now saves you in order that you now might do good works. Well, what Paul is saying is the good work of being radically financially generous. That is a part of the good works that every Christian has been set apart to participate in. Now, how do we know? Remember how 1 Corinthians 15 ended, and I want you to look up one verse. Notice how it ends. Therefore, in light of the resurrection and the day of the Lord that's coming, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work. You underline that, in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, when you see that, it feels out of place. What work are you talking about, Paul? Well, guess what? It's apostolic foreshadowing. 
What he's doing is dropping the seed in 15, and then you get to chapter 16, and guess what words he uses over and over again? Labor, work, work, help us. Now, look at it in the text. Verse 9, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, even though there are many adversaries. Look at verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. Look at what he says. Help him on his way. So you get this image of Paul is working. In fact, when you read the rest of this letter, Paul is working. Timothy is working. Aristarchus is working. Stephanus is working. Fortunatus is working. That Aquila and Priscilla are working. And the temptation is to think that they are just the super workers of God. And you hear what Paul is saying? No, saints. There's a good work that you're called to do as well. And what is that work? Some of you can't leave your jobs. You're not being called to leave and go to Thailand. You're not being called to leave and go to Ephesus. You're called to honor God in your day-to-day work right here, but the good work on top of and inside of the work that you do is being radically generous to help Timothy when he comes through. Help me, send me on my way when I come through. You get it? This is a good work that we're all called to do. Now, what is the work? The work is being radically generous. This otherworldly type of generosity that can only be done by Christians because we have a new heart. Well, what makes it radical? First, it's radical because the generosity that Paul is after here, it transcends geographical bounds. So, Would you agree that it is easier to be generous to people who live in your home? My daughter took the ACT and she didn't have the TI-80-something calculator. And it costs like over $100. And I'm like, I didn't bat an eye. All right, baby girl, we're getting you the calculator you need. Boom, two days later, it's on my porch. I didn't think about it. Why? Because that's my daughter. It's easy to be generous to people near us. But did you notice this generosity? That it's to Paul who's in Ephesus. It's to Timothy who's coming through. But notice where this collection that Paul is taking up, notice where it's going. Look at verse 3. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter and carry your gift to where? Jerusalem. In fact, look at what Paul says in verse 1. As I directed the churches of Galatia to collect. Now, if you read 2 Corinthians, you have the Corinthians who were taking up a collection. You have the Galatians who were taking up a collections. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Macedonians are taking up a collection for who? For the saints in Jerusalem. Here's a map. All right. You can't see it, but here, is, here are the churches in Galatia. They're right here. Here are the churches in Macedonia over here. 
Here is Corinth down here, and this is Jerusalem over here. All of these churches are giving and they're sending money across geographical lines. Thank you, Jimmy or Andre. You see how radical that is? But it's not just across geographical lines. This is also across ethnic and cultural lines. What do we know about the church in Corinth? That they are predominantly Gentiles. We know that because in 1 Corinthians 18, when Paul went to the synagogue to plant the church, what did the Jews do? No, brother, you got to get out of here with that gospel that Jesus is the Messiah for all people. And where did Paul go? Paul went right next door to plant the church. And so what they're doing is actually giving money as Gentiles, as a predominantly Gentile church to a church in Jerusalem that is predominantly Jewish. And you know that relationship. Now, why would he do that? Why would he expect that? Because at the beginning of the letter, when he addressed the Corinthians, he said this to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. You catch that. That is beautiful. When Paul addresses them, you are not just saints here in Corinth. You're a saint alongside of everyone, everywhere, regardless if they're black or they're white or they're Jewish or they're Indian or they're Gentiles. The tie that binds you all together in a new family is the blood and the person and the work of Jesus. And therefore, those Jewish Christians, and it's important that, that, that we're not talking about catering to anything the Jewish nation wants. We're talking about these are Jewish brothers and sisters who have bowed the knee to the Messiah. And because they have bowed the knee to the Messiah, and because we love Messiah, we're now family. And we're giving across ethnic lines because we have been blood bought. That, that's why it's radical. It's also radical because this giving is in addition to them giving to their local church. This is extra. Now, how do we know? Back in 1 Corinthians 9, remember what Paul says? You shall not muzzle an ox. This is what Moses said. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain. Was it oxen that God had in mind? He says, no, it was for our sake. We apostles and we pastors and we leaders have sown spiritual things among you. Is it too much that we reap material things from you? If others share this claim on you, do we not even more? You hear what Paul was saying to the Corinthians? That you should be generous with your financial gifts to your local church, that those who labor among you and sow spiritual good among you. So this giving is above that. It's on top of that. Let that wash over you this morning, saints, that God expects that we will be generous people, beginning with our families, extending to our church, 
and then moving beyond our church to others in need who are brothers and sisters in Christ that God puts us in our orbit. That's here in the text. Here's the second thing that I think we can see in the text is that there is great difficulty of being radically generous. It's hard. Now, the fact that Paul has to say now concerning this collection, he says, as I directed past tense, the other churches, so you also are to do. In fact, if you go back and and read the book of Acts, from the time that we hear about this famine that was going on in Jerusalem, the one that was prophesied, to the time that Paul gets to Corinth, you can make the case that the prophecy of the famine happens way before Paul is sent out. So much so that when Paul is sent out, that he's told by the people in Jerusalem, hey, don't forget us, don't forget the poor. And so when Paul goes out to all of these churches to plant the churches, these churches already know that they're being persecuted and there's a famine. And so Paul has to remind them at the end of the letter, hey, remember you said you was going to give? I need you to give. Now, what if I told you that they needed another letter written to remind them to give what they promised to give a year ago? That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and chapter 9. As you excel in all these other acts of grace, excel in this grace of being radically generous. As you started this work a year ago and you desired it, now it's time for you to finish it. For I know of your readiness, of which I boasted to the Macedonians, telling them that you were ready last year. Your zeal stirred them up, but I'm sending the brothers and I may come to get what you promised last year. And if some of the Macedonians come and they find out you still haven't given, I will be humiliated. Did y'all catch that? Paul is saying the Macedonians were poorer than you. And when they heard that these Corinthians are going to give, you spur them on to give. Except they just didn't talk about it. They actually did it. And now it's a year later and we still don't have your money. And so now when me and the homeboys come through, we might be bringing the Macedonians with us. And if me and the homeboys and the Macedonians show up and you don't have your money now, I'm apostolically ashamed. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Now, here's the question. Why? 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 Why did they promise it and didn't make good on it? Y'all, the spirit is willing. And the flesh is weak. That money has this hold on us, y'all. But we think it's ours. We think it doesn't matter what we do with it. Look, y'all, I've tried to preach 1 Corinthians in a way that our posture isn't up here. But but they are us. They wrestle with sexual sin. They wrestle with falling out of fellowship with each other. They idolize certain people and certain personalities. They will sue one another and take each other to court. And guess what? We Christians today still do the same thing. And so when we get to this issue around not being generous, 
it, we can use our spiritual imaginations and surmise why might they struggle with being generous? Why do we struggle with being generous? Maybe it's racism. You know, when Paul tried to plant that church in Corinth, the Jews said, no, buddy, you got to get out of here with that. And so imagine being a Gentile when Paul, who is a Jew, comes to plant a church and he preaches the gospel to you first and you say, no, none of that. And they have to get kicked out and go start a church next door. And now, Paul, you want us to send money to them folks who planted this racist church in Corinth? No, bro, I'm good on that. They ain't going to die for me. I'm surmising maybe, maybe that's going on. Maybe they thought, Paul, you're not talking to me. You're just talking to the wealthy folk. You got to be in that, that extra strata of wealth to be generous. I'm on a fixed income. I'm retired. I'm a teenager. All I got is like these $20 that I get for allowance a month. You, you're not talking to me. You're talking to the adults in the room. Maybe they thought, you know what? My gifts are teaching and leading and practicing hospitality. I don't have the gift of being generous. <laughs> oh, maybe they're saying, Paul, inflation is out here. $100 for groceries don't get what it got three years ago. Or maybe they can't resist the TJ Maxx in car rent. Them shirts that are normally five denarii. Today, Paul, is two shirts for five denarii, right? We live in this world where, where companies spend billions of dollars on marketing. And every time you buy something, you got to give them your cell phone number. And now when you swipe your card, it's attached to your cell phone number and your email address, and you sign up for these rewards programs. And so you go buy a smoothie, and then two weeks later, you're getting all this other stuff, and then you're working, and you got food. I, I got food in the, in, the, in the refrigerator. We got leftovers, but I got this, this smoothie thing. Hey, come get $2 off a smoothie. And so now, instead of eating my leftovers, I go get a smoothie. You talk about, I want to start running, and Alexa listens to you, and Nike sends you a 20% off coupon to the phone you signed up for at Smoothie King, because they're selling your data. And at the end of the month, you've been led to believe that you needed everything, and you give God leftovers. Or maybe we turn to the Bible and say, hey, the Bible calls me to be like the ant and to store up stuff and to save for the future. And so, Pastor L, I, I'm, I'm saving. Or maybe you've been burned. You have sown seeds and you thought next year was your year. And next year was your season. And you ain't got no raise in three years. And it costs you more now to live today than it did three years ago. And you're just burned out on giving. Look, family, I hear it. They're human, just like us. We got kids that's in the college. Paul says something in this passage that should quell any reason why any of us 
may feel as if we're exempted from being radically generous. And it's in, it's in verse 2. On the first day of every week, underline that next phrase, each of you. Each of you. On the first day of every week, when you enter into the house of God for worship, everybody participates. Anyone who earns anything, whether it's income tax or wages or tips or dividends or paycheck or birthday gift or allowance or alimony or child support or social security or pension or even income from the mercy ministry committee of the church who blesses you, that is income that has come into your hand. And what Paul is saying, every one of you. Now, how do we know? I think we take him at face value. He could have said only the rich people or only the white people or only the black people or only the married people. Paul says every single one of you. We can consider the Old Testament where Israelites were expected to give a tenth, a tithe. Or we can look at Jesus. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus went to the temple and he saw the rich putting in their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow, a poor widow. We talk about the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor and the stranger who is homeless. This woman is two of the four. And Jesus sees her and she puts her two coins in the box. And did you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, baby girl, keep that. He didn't go to the temple officials and say, open it up and give it back. You know what he did? He exalted her. He says, I tell you, everybody in here gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. This is a challenge and it's an encouragement. If you're poor and life is hard and all you got is $2, nothing you give in faith is too small. And it's a challenge because not one of us in this room is immune from being radically generous. The average American Christian gives 2% of our income to the cause of Christ. 2%. I think it's a form of stealing. I think it's a form of not being content with food and shelter and clothing that our spending habits look just like the world and they don't know God. And so I think Jesus is kind of calling us saints to repent and to hold to our money more loosely. And to be radically generous to your church and radically generous to the poor and radically generous to missionaries and radically generous to the cause of Christ. Here's the last point. What moves us to do this work? 
It's hard. It's not guilt, saints. I'm not here to guilt you. I promise you I'm not. I'm here saying I understand. I'm in it with you. It's not guilt. What moves us is God's radical material and his cosmic redemptive generosity. That when you step back and see God, who is radically generous to us to meet all of our material needs, and then that same God who says, look, I'm going to do more than, than shower you with food and clothing. I'm going to shower you with Messiah. I'm going to meet all of your needs, and I'm never, ever, ever leaving or forsaking you. Only when we can see that will our own hearts change. I'm not guilting you. I'm saying the gospel moves us. And so here's what we start to see. Before there is a work for us to do to be radically generous, you must first behold the work of God. Now, he is the epitome of material generosity, and we're always on the receiving end. So let, let's assume for a second you got a non-Christian friend, and they say, hey, something different about you. The way you talk, the way you handle grief, the way you treat your spouse, the way you endure in your singleness, the way you wash the feet of the saints, the way that you're, I mean, just, and, and suppose they come up to you and say, hey, I don't know a whole lot about God. Can you spend time with me and tell me about him? But I don't want to read a book written by a Christian author. I don't want to do that. I just want you to unpack a book of the Bible for me and let's get together for three to four months and all I want to do is study the scriptures and let me see this character of this God that you say you believe in. That were me, I go to Genesis. The seed of the whole Bible is there and I could take you to Joseph and I could say, baby girl, God is going to work all things out for our good, even hard stuff like when you are in a pit and sold as a slave, that God is that big, that he is working all things together, that he raises Joseph up to save the nation. That's God's character. I could say, look, God is covenantal. He is forever faithful. He's going to keep your end of the deal and his end of the deal. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I could say God is a God of the impossible. It's women who were old and could not bear children, and God gave them children. I would say God is a God of grace that you don't come seeking for God. God calls you out of your darkness into his light, Abraham. I could say God is a God of justice that when evil and wickedness was over the face of the earth, he sent a flood, but God is the God of preservation. He plucks people out and rescues them to himself, and he did it. All of that is in Genesis. But you want to know what's first? In chapters one and two, he is radically generous. He made the earth he made the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the water and the sea creatures. And then he makes man and woman in his image after his likeness. And he says, Adam, I give to you, Eve. And Eve, I walk you down the aisle and I give to you, Adam. And I give you both dominion over everything. And I give you my law. And I give you every plant to eat 
and I give the animals every plant to eat. That when you read the first page of the Bible, God is radically, radically generous. And guess what? You see it in the text. Did you notice verse two again? On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he or she may prosper. Now, underline that phrase, as he may prosper. So, I'm not trying to nerd out on y'all. I, I, that's not kind of how I roll, right? But I do think something is important in the Greek that's here. There are active verbs and there are passive verbs. An active verb means that I did it. A passive verb means that this was done by someone else and it's happening to me. How do you, what do you think that verb to prosper is? Is it in the active? As you go build your own business and make yourself prosper, or is it in the passive? As you have been enabled to prosper by the hand of God. Which one is it? It's passive. Well, Paul is actually saying, saints, I want you to give when and after God has done the work that God do and he prospers you. And so, yes, you went to school, but God kept you in your right mind. Yes, you went to work, but God gave you that strength. Yes, you came up with this vision to run this business, but God gave you that thought. Yes, you washed the dishes and washed the dog, but God gave you little boy or little girl that desire to do it, and he gave you parents who can pay you an allowance. You see, the, the biblical view here is that every good gift comes from above. Every good gift. Doesn't that make you just kind of want to give right there? Just, just stop right there. But it's more. Would God be a truly good God if he only gave you things that moths can eat, that thieves can steal, and that rust can hurt? You're good, but that's not great. You see, beloved, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when Paul is reminding them to be generous and commanding them to be generous, you know what he does? He cascades on up. Not only has God has been giving you this little stuff, this good stuff, but he says, look, do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus? That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you in his poverty might become rich. Say, so you hear that? Think about how good God is to us, and think about how much more good he is to his son. He says, Jesus... I'm going to give them houses, but I'm giving you kingdoms. Jesus, I'm giving them the earth, but the earth is your footstool. It's where you kick up your feet. Jesus, I'm giving them stars to behold, but guess what? Those stars are Legos for you. Play with them and put them in constellations like Jesus. I'm giving them this, but I'm giving you so much more, and I'm giving you me my presence, my love, our community. And what does the Bible say? The Bible say Jesus was rich. But it says he became poor, was born of a virgin. He left everything. He had no place to lay his head, 
no majesty about him. He died on a cross. He was betrayed for money because Judas loved money more than the Messiah. And that's us. But in Judas's betrayal, we became rich. God atoned for our selfishness, our sin. God has pledged himself to us to never leave us nor forsake us. We are now rich. We have new hearts, an inheritance that's being kept for us, the promise of new bodies and a new earth. We have one another so that we're never alone. We have hope and grief, forgiveness of sins, and peace with God, and we have God's promise. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. Ever. We're rich. And what does God call us to do with that richness to be generous. And so what does radical gospel-centered generosity look like, saints? Here are five things. They're going to be really quick. It's in response to God's kindness to you and not for it. When we give, we're not earning God's favor. We're imaging him and responding to his great generosity for us. It's to be done regularly and not haphazardly. Notice that Paul says, give on the first day of every week, put something aside and then store it up. No collecting when I come. Paul is saying, as you bring yourself into worship, bring also your financial gifts. And I know we get paid first and the 15th and and regular for us might look like every time something comes in, We do budget and something goes out for the king and for the kingdom every time. We're mindful of it. We're not surprised by it when the offering plate passes by us. It's to be done universally and not for a select few. As mentioned in the text, it says each of you. This is an invitation for every single one of us to participate. It is to be done proportionately. Did you notice that Paul never gives us a dollar amount? He never says, look at your neighbor and compete with what your neighbor's doing. He says, as you prosper, give. If March rolls around and you pay too much in taxes and you prosper, give. If you're going to get a car that costs 10000 and you got it for 8000 you prosper, give. If child support comes in, give. If you get mercy ministry money, give. It's not based on what your neighbor's doing. There's no dollar amount here. He's saying as God continues to prosper you, give a portion back. And it is to be done with integrity. Did you notice that that it's not over once the, the money is collected? Notice what Paul says. He says, hey, When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go, then I will go. Y'all know what Paul is saying? He's actually saying, hey, it's all right. I see y'all looking. It it does not bother me. Bless him. All right. Um, But notice what Paul says. Look, I ain't even got to have my hands on it. You entrust it to people that you think have integrity. 
He says, I don't got to touch it. If you want me to go, I'll go, but, but I'll leave it up to you because radical gospel generosity is not just about giving. It's about making sure that what we give to the Lord goes to where it's supposed to go to. And so we have measures in this church where you give and it goes where it's supposed to go to. And there are audits and there are people who take it and look at it and do all the stuff that we do with the books. And that's a part of being gospel gospel generous. All right. So I'm going to close with this. How is God calling you to respond today, saints? If you're already practicing radical generosity, praise God. Thank you. And I bet if you interview any one of us who do that, we will tell you it is a blessing. Maybe you don't give meaningfully and God is saying, hey, sit down, look at your budget and begin giving. Maybe you don't have a lot, but remember that no gift is too small that's given in faith that is not abundant in God's economy. Maybe you're a kid and you're like, Pastor L, what do I do? Start young. When I was a kid, my parents taught us how to tithe. And I cut grass and my mama helped me do the math and I put it in church. And that's how we were raised. Parents, the habits that we put in them now, they stick. They stick. Our kids can have a worldview of radical generosity, but we have to show them and we have to teach them. I'm going to close right there. That's all I'm going to say. I got something else, but let's go. Let's pray. All right. Father, thank you for being kind to us. You are so good. I pray, Lord, that we would be motivated to give, not to earn anything, but in response to your lavish grace to us, day in and day out, year in and year out, you're faithful. Help us, Lord, to be people who image you in response to your kindness. For Jesus' sake, amen.